Hey everybody, this is Brian. Thanks so much for all of your uh, prayers and concerns and uh, reaching out while I was sick with COVID. Uh, I just want to reiterate, um, I was vaccinated and I was okay because I was vaccinated. I had about 10 days of very mild symptoms uh, and I did miss uh, some work and wasn't able to go do uh, comedy shows that I like to do, but I was just fine. Uh, it's been about a month since I've had any symptoms. I still can't smell much of anything, which isn't my favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, but I'm healthy, and that's the part that's really important. So uh, for those of you who are still on the fence about this, make sure that you vax up, mask up, keep your distance, and show up. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. And now on with the show. What time is it? Comedy Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Mark James Heath. Mark is a poet and comedian. He was born and raised in Chicago, spent some time in Canada, and he was featured on NBC Universal's Breakout Comedy Fest. We're going to talk to him about the good, the bad, and the funny. Winnipeg, it's great to be here. I am originally from Chicago. Uh, me and my wife, we moved here. We had our kids here because it was free. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Good on you as a country. Um, we currently, uh, we live in Toronto. And Toronto is great because, like, everybody in my neighborhood is an immigrant, you know, including me. Like, we all got there within the last, like, 50 years, you know? So it makes the racism nice and subtle. <laughs> great. I go places now. I see people with overt racism. I'm just like, that's tacky. <laughs> you're going to let that racism hang out. You're not even going to tuck it in. That's how you're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really fun. Thank you, Mark, for being on the show. <laughs> yeah, Mark, we are so excited to chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, uh, you uh, sent me that video clip, and we we had you uh, scheduled on a show, and then uh, and then COVID came, and then we had you scheduled on a show, and then uh, Delta came. Uh, so here we are. We're just going to talk to you, and then we are going to have you on a show as soon as we possibly can. Um, but uh, that uh, that clip was from uh, from a TV show in Canada, right? Yes, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Um, they tape. They've been taping for a good while, a good 20 years or so. And then that airs on the, uh, on the CBC on Canada's like main broadcast channel. pretty much. Huh. And now you were in Toronto. How long were you there? I was in Toronto for seven years and then they kicked oh. us out. So <laughs> no, I was going to gently walk into, so why, why would you leave Canada? Uh, and then you just, just told me kicked out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if it's uh, not too much, uh, did did you really just leave of your own volition, or they were saying uh, not anymore? You were too funny. <laughs> Basically, it was uh, a pay it came down to a paperwork issue. Our our work permits, my wife and myself, our work permits were up. Yeah, we were trying to apply for a permanent residency, but they um, we got denied. And then it became like a, a financial sort of burden to kind of apply again and mm. that sort of thing. And it just, it was looking like it was less expensive for us to pack up and move back to Chicago. So that's what we did. Yeah. Now you grew up on, on the South side, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, Harvey, is that where you grew up? 
That is correct. So I'm from what's considered like the south suburbs of Chicago. Harvey yeah. is is right under right underneath Chicago. And it's a suburb kind of in name only, like what, what people picture when they, <laughs> they picture a sub, like Flint, Michigan. Yes. Kind of Harvey and Flint are kind of like similar to kind of towns, you know, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I've been through there. Um, uh, I, I didn't like go there with a purpose. I just kind of like, oh, I'll just take these back ways to get where I'm going. And oh, mm-hmm. Harvey, I've heard of Harvey and. Uh, I grew up um, a little bit farther west, uh, a little bit farther north uh, in Downers Grove. Oh, wow. Uh, but it was <laughs> years ago, and um, and and that <laughs> town has changed a ton uh, since I lived there. There was about 35,000 people in, in there when I, when I grew up, and um, and then uh, now it's you know, like double that at least. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I, love, I, I uh, also uh, lived in Chicago for a while too. Actually, uh, uh, until second grade, I, actually the first school I attended was Medcalf Magnet Elementary School in Chicago. Wow! <laughs> Look at that! Look at that! All right. <laughs> uh, so the the real question that I have for you, uh, Mark, is uh, Cubs or Sox? Sox, definitely. Oh, oh Southside. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, okay. uh, I'm uh, where I grew up. It was most people were Sox fans and I was rebelling and became a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's purely political. I don't follow baseball at all. <laughs> right. Just, <you> know, <laughs> I don't want to get beat up when I visit my grandmother. So I, oh, well, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. My grandfather was a Cardinals fan. So I had to throw away all the politics of baseball immediately. <laughs> uh, so, um, I I just you know did some stalking, did some research about you and so on, and I saw a, a line that was he's a hip hop nerd, mm-hmm. and I'm like I need to find out what a hip hop nerd is. So please <laughs> elucidate. Well, um, there, there's kind of two parts to that. Uh, I would say the first part is that um, I'm just a, a nerd. Period. Um, yes, <laughs> but I am. Uh, well sort of versed and immersed in, in hip hop culture, um, kind of by birthright, I, I would I would say. And then hip hop as a as an art form as far as hip hop music is kind of always this walking this razor edge between highbrow and lowbrow. Um and so there's some of the greatest sort of poetry and writing that exists, I think, in the 21st century. And some of the most like uh, complicated sort of arrangements, like like hot jazz and that kind of stuff. There's that element mm-hmm. to it, and yeah. then there's a very sort of guttural, fun, uh, on the pulse of the times kind of aspect to it. And I'm always in the, I'm much more in the heady direction. I'm always talking about, you know, I'm I'm the, I'm always talking about keeping the the pillars and the tenements of of hip hop alive. And I'm 37. So I am an old, old man. In, in <laughs> so I don't, you know, I'm always like, you kids today, you don't know about the, the notorious B.I.G.s and cool G raps of, of the of my youth. And, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. Okay, nice. Um, and this is where um, my whiteness really comes through. <laughs> and my age uh i'm i'm a 54 year old white guy and uh so high school for me was just at the very beginning of seeing some young mc and run dmc and mm-hmm. other 
things that began and end with MC and, <laughs> and, and that all I knew was what I saw on MTV. I didn't right. have, have any other background to it. I was like, that's really fun. That's really interesting. But I never like bought albums and stuff like that. I, I was, um, never pulled into that. Um, and then I kind of solidified that by learning how to sing uh, in a barbershop group. Uh, so then I was just done. Uh, no, no chance I was ever going to get into hip hop. Not, not a lot of crossover there. Uh, every once in a while. Harmony has a bit of a barbershop quartet sort of feel to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's four uh, of them. They kind of sing together. It's, it's yeah. It's right. related, I think. Yeah. Cool. Uh, let me take you back to Canada for a second here, because uh, uh, you you brought up a point earlier about uh, being an ignorant American. But as soon as you come to another country, that's when you realize that you are like an ignorant American, that you're very uneducated about the rest of the world. I'm meeting people from all over the world. I like how I actually get to meet like Africans who are directly from Africa. I think that's such a cool thing. Like being from the States, you always feel like Africa, like you need a spaceship or a time machine to get to Africa. It's good to like meet people who are actually from there. All my friends at home, like their perception of what Africa is, they get from the American media. I'm like, the American media doesn't know about you. Like they got Chicago wrong. How you figure they got Nigeria all mapped out? That's probably not the case. Uh, boy, I, that, boy that's, yeah. a, that's, that's such a fun clip. Like, you can hear the dynamics uh, of the audience there. Just, you know, people are almost holding their breath. And then you give them permission to laugh. And it's just such a wonderful release of tension. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry about that, Brian. <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. Uh, uh, I was, I was going to ask you more uh, about uh, that idea of... Um, uh, I, I look for these kinds of things. I always see myself as I'm the, I, I say ugly American, but, um, but yeah, um, ignorant American works too. That's just fine. Um, and, and so I'm always looking for opportunities to learn more and make sure I understand people around me and stuff. So, um, you said a thing there that's like, they don't have Chicago figured. They don't have you understood. They're not going to figure out Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear more about that idea of, you know, the, the, the American media doesn't understand what, what's, um, can you, I, I'm not looking for a, you know, a, a doctoral thesis here, just, you know, some sense of what's behind that comment. Well, America, um, I feel like our biggest export is kind of like folklore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We are really, and when you think about like the American revolution, it's like kind of how we, how we win or how we won is this uh, is this spirit that sort of gets you drummed up through all of this sort of storytelling and this idea of where America, we're this great, great country. Um, so we're really good at crafting narratives and marketing. And, and, yeah. Marketing. That's, that's <laughs> kind of our thing. So yeah. I feel like our, and our news. Oh, wow. Especially in my lifetime, I've seen the news really transform into kind of, uh, just blatant sort of propaganda, really, on both yeah. sides. You know, if you're watching MSNBC, if you're watching Fox, even if you're watching CNN, they it, it seems like now the fashion is to uh, tell you what to think rather mm-hmm. than just tell you what's happening. Um, yeah. So in that sense, especially being African-American, uh, being from a, a major city or what people might consider the inner city or a low-income area, 
there's a narrative that is already decided um, that doesn't really have anything to do with you or your friends or your family or your real life experience. It's just the narrative about those kind of places. And that's the narrative that gets pushed. So that same thing is true about Africa in particular, but really all countries. You know, America kind of tells you, the American media or the kind of tells you this this story or this folklore about this is what the world is and this is your place in it. And it's more of a marketing thing rather than an actual reality. So yeah. as soon as you kind of step into a whole nother, when you start to meet people, even if even if it's just meeting Americans, if you actually <laughs> yeah. drive into some of these towns and, and <laughs> talk to the to people, they're like, oh, okay, this whole concept of what a redneck is or what somebody from the ghetto is is really all just uh, a bit of a fantasy. That has been my experience as well. Um, I, I've lived in a variety of different places, and every time I have lived someplace or moved somewhere, uh, I have found. Um, I, I found myself coming in with some preconceived notion of what people are like and they immediately prove me wrong. And, mm-hmm. and then I just have to make sure that I open my mind up to say, I need to make sure I'm here listening. I'm here watching. I'm not here coming in with looking for whatever it is I thought was going to be here. Um, unless it's food, in which case then, <laughs> then please make sure that you take me to your food, whatever your special food is. Absolutely, uh, Mark. As as you've described that uh, idea of folklore and and the marketing ideas there, how has that, other than the clip that we we've just heard here a couple minutes ago, how has that influenced your comedy, your your voice, and uh, how you uh, approach uh, your material? I I come from a really rich tradition, uh, the South Side of Chicago, where I learned to like be an artist and a performer and a writer. There's, you know, so many people have come out of there, come through there, the Gwendolyn Brooks and um, Richard Wright and like all of these sort of people who kind of made their made that side of town what it is. Um, so I come from like a, a community of working class artists, basically. And it's always been ingrained in me um, that I have a spiritual responsibility, a cultural responsibility, this sort of be excellent and sort of carry the best of my my community with me everywhere that I go. Um, so I don't speak for anyone, but I definitely feel like it's my sort of job to um, balance out that narrative or, or give people some real insight and and let my humanity sort of shine through in everything that I'm that I'm doing. Um, similar to how Bill Hicks kind of I feel like approached comedy. Uh, of just kind of, you know, there being a truth that has to be told and has to be upheld. And that is even more important than than really anything else. Mm, that's beautiful. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's so great, Mark, to hear, uh, you know, how proud you are of yourself as an artist and uh, the the background that you come from. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. And how long have you been, um, I mean, doing comedy, I mean, we kind of all get started and it's, you know, open mics and a show here and there where you can get paid. And and, you, and you, there's always this idea of like, at some point, I'm get to the point where I'm supporting myself and so on. I think we all have that kind of goal. But uh, how long have you been uh, working at comedy? Oh, wow. That is um, really my whole life. Uh, 
I guess I officially kind of kind of started started. Um, sheesh, almost twenty years ago. Wow. Um, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. doing uh, mostly like church gigs and like corporate shows and things like that. But um, my real first places that I started were like in my living room, <laughs> just <Yeah. laughs> uh, just mimicking. Uh, you know, when I I grew up. Um, like a lot of us who are in this business right now, I grew up inspired by by Eddie Murphy and mm-hmm. that whole boom that kind of came from that. Like Eddie Murphy kind of kind of opened the door for like Robert Townsend and then like in Living Color and like all of these other sorts of things that were happening. So in my neighborhood and in my family, it was always sort of being a comedian or being an entertainer, at least always seemed like a viable job or like a high aspiration if i was like oh i'm gonna be a i'm gonna be a comedian people went oh wow okay so you're gonna be big time you're gonna make money this type of thing (laughs) so i got a lot of ironically i got like a lot of encouragement and and stuff like that so i've been working at it for that long and it's always been informed and it's led to doing other art forms it led to me you know becoming an mc or or a rapper it led to me becoming a poet it led to me getting into acting and getting into, you know, writing scripts and things like that over the years. And I've just sort of added as many tools to my tool belt as I possibly could. Sweet. Uh, but you've, if I remember correctly, you've had some day jobs as well. So it's like when I first got here, I had a job at a call center, which I, I like to refer to as a phone plantation. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty much a phone plantation. I don't know if you ever worked at a call center, but it's a field of visible minorities doing menial work. Some manager walking up and down the aisles trying to make sure none of us are reading. You know what I mean? They even used a slavery metaphor one time. I'll never forget this. He was like, "Uh, productivity is down, all right? We want you guys to work a little harder. We don't want to have to crack the whip. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Hold on a second. As an African-American, I promised my mother I would never work near whips or crack. So, (laughs) not been good for us as a people. Let's not do any more slavery metaphors, otherwise I might burn the building down. (laughs) Keep that in mind. Thank you. Oh, you're sweet. You're sweet people. I love that last metaphor of uh, burning the building down. That's a good good <laughs> metaphor. You were Mark, Mark, my my mom actually uh, lives with us right now, and and when Brian had sent over those clips, I listened to that one out loud with with her in the room, and all the way through it, she's going, "Oh, oh no, oh no." <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, the, just the idea of it. A phone plantation. I mean, that's that's brilliant. Um, and and as smart as that is, and funny as that is, uh, you just kept upping the game through that that run there. Um, it tr- trying to make sure you weren't reading. It just another <laughs> step up, and it just it, you just you. worked that. So that that I wanted to make sure I played last because it was a, a beautiful piece of writing, and uh, you performed it so well. That's a uh, I think the expression is killer bit. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so maybe much. Maybe we don't use that as a metaphor either anymore. But, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, um, 
but uh, so that that was kind of uh, another Canadian experience. And um, I'm going to flip us back there. Uh, you um, were there in Toronto. Uh, you and your wife. You had your kids there. Uh, so how long have you been married? How many kids do you have? What What are we talking about there? Okay, so I've been married for 17 years, mm-hmm. um, and we have three kids. Congrats. The first two were born in Toronto, and the third one is, is coming up on three this year. Oh, okay. Wow. All little girls. Well done. Uh, yeah, this the um, the old expression, the father of daughters is uh, a, uh, a both a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so you are the only testosterone in, in the entire house then. Yeah. My wife is pretty t- is pretty pretty strong. Pretty, oh. <laughs> pretty, <yeah. laughs> I have no doubt of that. Um and um and so you've been married for 17 years, you got three kids now, you've uh been back in the states for a while. Um and so where do you see things going next? What's what's what are your thoughts? I mean, we we're, we're still, you know, struggling on where do we, when do we perform? When is it going to be okay? That kind of thing. But uh, what what have you uh, kind of got uh, in the hopper, so to speak? Well, right now, there's a, a focus for me on um, working in my community. Um, and really, that's a, um, that's a local, you take those first steps locally, but it's really a, a global sort of, sort of thought process. Um, but right now I do a lot of work where I primarily partner with community organizations and, and nonprofit organizations to um, sort of bring comedy into that space and kind of pair it with uh, pair it with the different uh, justice and equity work that people are doing. So I, I help them to develop programming, um, workshops, uh, fundraising events, outreach events, things of that nature. Um, yeah, comedy as it kind of exists for the most part, in my opinion, is sort of an art form that is performed mostly in areas that center around vice, uh, you know, nightclubs, bars, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and so that being the case, we kind of miss out on a lot of that community engagement people do literally feel like you can't do comedy, like in the daytime or anything like that. Yeah, right. So I do a lot of work where I bring laughter and levity to these two people who work kind of on the front line of very, very serious, very heavy issues Um, in the same way that somebody I kind of think about it in the same way that people do like USO tours and things like that and perform for those who serve the country in that way. I try to do that same thing for people who are mentors and social workers and things of that nature. That's brilliant. Oh, thank you. I, I can't think of anything better to say than thank you for your service. Oh, um, yeah. That is uh, absolutely terrific. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of using comedy as a tool to connect with people on a on a deeper level, and it sounds like you're doing that. And I I just commend you for that, my friend. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of you who listen to the Clean Comedy Time podcast, we are flying up the podcast charts. According to Chartable.com, 
we became the sixth most downloaded stand-up comedy podcast of all time on Apple Podcasts in the United States and have been in the USA Top 10 for a few months. We have also climbed the charts in Canada and New Zealand. And a while back, we even charted number one in Fiji. Ooh. So wherever you are, thanks for listening. And thanks for joining us for Clean Comedy Time. Welcome back. And uh, Mark, man, thank you so much for sharing in that first half. I think it's just incredible to hear how your culture and your upbringing has just melded together to be this uh, uh, this mission ground for you to, to bring levity and laughter and, and just some of the great work that you're doing with that. I appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing with comedy. Thank you so much. Man. I, I appreciate being here. Yeah, yeah. Well, in this uh, in the second half, we like to dig in a little bit deeper, even, and find out what's going well and what some things that you might be struggling with are. So, what's uh, something that's going well for you, Mark? The um, the sort of pivot into leaning more into the mission and and changing from chasing after what I think comedy success is, because um, that's always been kind of the the, the thought process is. First, you make it big in, in your field, and then you'll turn around and give back to your community and kind of cutting out that middleman and just making the mission to get up every day and use what I have to do the best that I can. That that couldn't be going more well for me. I'm, I'm working with a lot of great organizations here in Chicago um, that I'm very proud of and doing a lot of mentoring work and, and actually improving the quality of um people's lives that I actually care about and that I get to see on a regular basis. And I'm just blessed to, to be able to do that. Man, you just said so much right there. And I, I got to, I'm like giddy about hearing more about this because what you just said about flipping that script and, you know, not waiting for something to happen so that then you can turn around and engage with your community and give back. But to do that first, do that right now, man, tell me more about that. It's funny, right? Like, because, comedy seems so competitive um, when you're micro-focusing on, well, everybody's trying to get a late night spot or everybody's trying to get into this festival. But when you really think about what you specifically want, nobody else really wants that but you. Like you're the only comic who probably has that idea or probably wants to do that thing. And when you when you lock into that, it's like, oh, it's a pretty clear path to what I'm doing. So instead of having this mindset of, okay, I'm going to make it big and then make a lot of money. And then I'm going to open up a community center or or this or that. Uh, If you just think, all right, I really want to engage with teenagers or youth in Chicago who are going through a really tough time, who, uh, you know, it's it's, kind of dangerous to be uh, 12 to about 25 especially if you're African-American in Chicago, Illinois. It it can be a a rough place to be that age. So instead of waiting to become uh, famous or rich before I can actually do something, just getting up and going to wherever I feel like those young people are. Right now I'm doing, um, I'm partnered with an organization called Public Allies and I am able to work at um, the Gary Coleman Youth Center the Chicago Youth Center, which has two different locations, uh, and another program called um, Utmost Youth, 
which is like a college preparatory sort of scholarly support program and and just use all of the things that I actually know how to do aside from being just a mentor and just listening to people and talking to them about, you know, different paths and different ways that you can go about doing things to actually coordinate uh, shows for them to for them to see comedians to actually run um, I run a uh, what's called a um, trauma informed uh, performance therapy work, writing workshop. So basically, it's a fancy way of saying that I just kind of use writing to sort of engage with young people, and uh, some of them are actually homeless and transient, and figure out what it is that they're going through. Help them to actually make something and create something with their with their minds that they can keep or take with them. Teach them how to register that as like intellectual property, so that it can potentially become some sort of stream of revenue for them. And then uh, use it as a, a way to get them to open up about their situation so that we can talk about different paths to, to how to deal with that in a healthy way and, you know, refer them then to the services that these different centers provide. Because um, the kind of the thing about community centers and places like that is that most people don't really know that they're there. Most people don't know about the social work initiatives that are going on in their neighborhood. They know about the fun places to go or they know about the places to go that have a lot of money to advertise. But they don't know that the library is running this kind of program or the the youth center is running this kind of program or the Boys and Girls Club is running this kind of program. So if you give them something fun to engage with that they care about, music, entertainment, something like that, that draws people to that location, then it's like, hey, you know, there there's classes here, there's workshops here, there's things that you can do that are going to help you transition from where you are to where you would like to be and kind of helping them to bridge those gaps in a way that lets me use everything that it is that I've learned without me having to, um, without me having to worry about competing with comedians. Now I can actually hire comedians instead of us both trying to, you know, get on JFL or whatever it is we were doing before. Man, I can just hear it in your voice. Uh, there's such fulfillment and there's such satisfaction. There's such contentment with where you're at right now and the work that you're doing, man. It's it you know, pride, being proud of ourselves, being proud of the work that we're doing. Sometimes that has a negative connotation to it, but man, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's super important. And I think you got that in spades, man. You, you just, you strike me as very proud of who you are and what you're doing. I commend you for that. I appreciate it. I'm proud of the people around me. Um, yeah. They, yeah. Being able to look at them and, and I'm proud to, to say that I'm, I'm from this place and, and I'm of these people. That means, that means a lot to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're right. You you kind of touched on it earlier, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of negative uh, chains of thought and, and perceptions around the south side of Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a rough place, like like you said, but to be talking about some of the good, some of the good that can only come from a place of struggle. That's it's awesome. Thank you. I think that um, one of the biggest things, as you kind of as you kind of know, um your mind is pretty powerful. Uh, yeah, yeah. And how you think is a big, big piece of it. So um, sort of combating um, combating negative ideas or negative thoughts or, or 
helping people to sort of really tap into the truth about themselves and being true to myself in front of them is really it. You know, I can't overstate it, how, how effective it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a, in a lot of the, the, the contentment and the satisfaction that that will build in people um, is so much more valuable than some of the more tangible measures of success. You, you yeah, know, that's, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. No, you go. It's, kind of it's one of those things where it, I, it just kind of occurred to me that um, it's like there's a middleman there with that thought process of first you get successful, then you get rich, then you help your community. Um, and if the goal is really to help my community, I kind of have put two things ahead of that. Um, and a big struggle that I've had for a long time is leaving my community and saying, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go make it in, in show business, everybody. And then you're, you're doing the things that it takes to make it in show business. And you don't really want to do those things. And it's not necessarily that they're bad or that there's some sort of negative connotation to them, but it's just like, this isn't really that important to me. Um, and, and that can happen a lot in comedy where you look up at where you're, where you are or what you're doing or what you're like spending your time and your money or your, your gas. And you're like all this, all this stuff that you're doing to focus on getting somewhere or being somewhere or performing somewhere. And they're like, but I don't even really want to be here. I don't even mm -hmm. really want mm -hmm. to do this. I'm doing this because this is what I think will get me here. And once I get there, I'm going to have to do some things that I think will get me to the next stop so that I can finally do what I want to do. And it's just like, if I really do just have faith and go ahead and step out and do what I want to do, I, you know, how would that work? And then you realize trying to be a professional comedian in and of itself is this ridiculous idea that you've already stepped out on faith on. So you might as well take it all the way. <laughs> and do what you really want to do. And it took a while. It took years in, in the States before I got to this place where it's like, okay, I can take care of my family and, and provide and do the things that I want to do and, you know, be able to be of service to my community. It, it took some figuring out, but we're finally kind of uh, seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. And it's really exciting. That's beautiful. Oh. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and what what do you attribute that to? I mean, that's such a that's such a mind shift to go from you know steps A, B, and C to just hey, I'm going to do what I feel like ultimately I'm supposed to be doing. What do you attribute that to? Uh, just being really um, honest about your mortality and how mm. like life is not really promised, um, and just I, and I, I swear I thought about it just in 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 those terms like. If I pass away on my way to trying to be a rich and famous comedian uh, so, and I'm trying to be a rich and famous comedian to help my community, nobody can really pick up that work and carry it across the finish line for me. It's mm. kind of like, well, that's over. Um, but if I'm trying to get some things done in the community and I, I don't make it through that, there's somebody who can who can fin who can who can continue that work. Who can say, "Oh, I see what Mark was. He was raising money for this, or he already had plans together to do this." And just that reality of, um, 
you know, if if of feeling good about where you are. I got to that point in my mental health where it was like, this is not a healthy place for me to be. And I'm doing mm-hmm. a lot of things um, to cope with life um, and carrying around life like it's this burden that I'm that I'm living when really I should be. I should be getting up every day excited to try to to get to the things that I need to be doing. And I needed to have that shift. Otherwise, I really just wasn't going wasn't going to make it as a as a person physically. It, mm. I, I wouldn't have been able to keep going if I kept on going down that path. And honestly, I think that that's an occupational hazard. I think we lose yeah. a lot of people in this business to the fact that they're just really not happy, even when they, quote unquote, make it. They're just mm-hmm. really still, they're still miserable and, and it, it can feel pretty meaningless. It can be like, I'm just up here pretending and, and, and no one really knows me. No one really cares about me. I don't really know them. I don't really care about them. Everything around me just feels very, very fake. And I'm one of those people who uh, I've been diagnosed with clinical depression. And like, mm-hmm. it got to the point several times, especially because Chicago has been, I feel like, especially since Obama got in office, Chicago has been sort of a favorite of the news for them to sort of highlight this many people have been shot, this many people have been killed, this is happening. That's kind of a regular thing to to see in the news. And it Mm -hmm. got to the point where it was debilitating for me to to get that news or to get that information about strangers, let alone if, you know, friends and family start calling me and saying, well, this happened and this person is doing this and this person is, you know, going through these struggles. And I'm out in L.A. trying to audition or I'm, you know, standing in line trying to get on, you know, last comic standing or something like that. And it feels guilty and sad and all of these different things. And it's like, what would happen if I just really submitted to my higher power and went where my higher power was telling me to go? How would my life be different? And and it's been a positive change. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, man. I mean, what you're getting into there, this is not things, these are not struggles that are exclusive to you. A lot Mm. of the people listening are going through the same thing. You know, whether they're in comedy or not, man, we we get lonely, we get depressed, we feel like it's futile. Mm -hmm. And I just so much appreciate your transparency, your honesty, and how your struggles have brought you to a place where you can find contentment in today in what can be done right now. So thank you so much for sharing, man. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Powerful stuff. Uh, So that kind of leads us right into the next part. Uh, What's something that you're struggling with now, Mark? Right now, I would say um, I'm struggling with, as a comedian, uh, sort of getting out of how do I how do I explain this? Um, okay, so in Canada in particular, uh, and this has kind of been true for probably the last decade of my career. I'm generally one of the only black people on a show. Um, sometimes I might be the only black person in the entire room. Uh, mm-hmm. when I'm performing in certain places. And I got to a place, especially in Canada, uh, where I where I kind of saw myself as a weapon 
of sorts. You know, my comedy was about sort of uh, this true, these truth bombs that I'm going to be dropping on people or this, this, I'm going to be giving people this information that might make some people uncomfortable, but you know what, who cares? Cause this is, this is edgy or, or what have you. Um, and social media has definitely fed into that. Um, and I don't really want to do that so much anymore. Um, especially making a transition and performing more in my community, still talking about some of those same issues and some of those same social issues and trying to do it with humor. I realized how much of it is kind of not being done in, in the spirit of levity. You know what I mean? Uh, how much of it is um, a bit of me virtue signaling or me standing up there trying to uh, appear better than someone else and how mm. little that's actually needed um, by from anyone, and particularly in these times, um, just how much that voice, that's, that's not the best usage of my voice. So really getting into a place of still talking about things that are maybe dark or things that are kind of heavy, things that are hard for me in my life to, to face and as far as social issues and bringing that to the stage. But doing it in a way where I'm not triggering people on purpose or mocking people on purpose, but, but more trying to uh, really first and foremost entertain and bring joy and bring levity to uh, the people who I think need to hear it the most, the people who I identify as kind of kindred spirits and who I, I, I want to form a community with. And then um, I'm not trying to, dumb it down or dull myself for people who maybe don't understand, but it also doesn't, that doesn't mean that it has to be nasty towards them either. Right. It can definitely, mm-hmm. I, I can definitely live in a place where I'm still, um, I'm still a comedian. I'm still here to be funny, to make people laugh, not necessarily hit people over the head and make them feel bad about what they don't know or what they haven't done or what, or, or things that they, or issues that they disagree with me. Sounds like a lot of your comedy uh, really does come from a genuine place of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, like I say, I, I think for me, I've always been an artist or I've always been in, enamored with TV and movies and, and books and thing, and songs and things like that. So I've kind of always understood the power of that. And that negative messaging um, about us about people, um, or, the, or reinforcing certain, um, certain evils or certain, certain negative ideology is a real thing. Um, that, uh, the further back you go in America in particular, you can really see it very blatantly how it's like, Oh, this, <laughs> that, you know, that even the concept of like minstrel shows and things like that, when they originally made those, it was to, combat um, abolitionism. You know what I mean? Those were the first time that they introduced these blackface characters into theater was to kind of create this propaganda that was anti-abolitionist propaganda or like Birth of a Nation by D.W. Griffin, which is like the first film that really uses, it's really a pioneering film in terms of how stories are told through that, through moving pictures. But the whole thing is literally a propaganda film 
for the Ku Klux Klan. Like that's the purpose of it was to recruit more Klansmen. Um, once you understand that, like people really do. Um, sometimes the only people that they see uh, that are different from them is on TV or the mm-hmm. first time that they see somebody who's different from them is on television or, or through music. When you realize like, especially again, growing up, it's like, I talk about Eddie Murphy and it's like in the eighties when Eddie Murphy first sort of shows up, there are towns and cities where if a black doctor or a black lawyer moved into the neighborhood, they wouldn't like that very much, but they will watch this guy on Saturday night live. Who's black. You know, they will, Mm -hmm. they will listen to a Snoop Dogg song, but they don't necessarily know anybody else who's, who's a black Mm. person. So when you realize how, just how powerful that is and how you can connect with people and really show them who you are and, and, and some, uh, a piece of the world that they're not familiar with. And by that same token, um, people grow up in certain environments and they think, well, this is who I am or I can never leave here or I can never aspire to certain things and how powerful it is to be like, I'm from the same place as you. Uh, I went to the same school as you. And yeah, man, I've traveled uh, to different parts of the world or I've, I've had access to this. Actually, you are very smart or you are very strong or you are very capable and modeling that and revealing that in my work and talking about how highbrow a lot of this stuff is in our culture already, um, it, it changes people's perception in a, in a big, big way. So I, I've always considered it to be a responsibility, you know, faith cometh by hearing. So it's like, what am I talking about? What am I saying, especially into a microphone? If I'm going to get up here and take seven minutes out of people's life or 15 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever my gig is, um, you know, it, it should be worth it to them and to me. Well, Mark, I admire you. I admire what you do and how you do it. I d- admire who you are as a man. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I really appreciate uh, the fact that we've gotten to know each other just a little bit. You know, we met at a show and uh, we've talked a couple times, but I truly admire you. I admire what you're trying to accomplish, how you're tapping into some genuine pain, but yet trying to keep a a response to that and a communication style that's not aggressive and not retaliatory. But uh, you know that you're you're trying to add to the room. You're trying to heal wounds, not create deeper ones. And I, I truly appreciate that about you. Thank you. Thank you so much, fam. And I want to stress that that's kind of a, that's kind of a part of what I'm, what I mean when things are, when I say I'm struggling with some things, Um, I'm struggling with the image of, of me being somebody that people might admire (laughs) or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And not letting that, not getting confused about what that means and, and, um, and all of those things, because I definitely, um, admire you and feel like you're doing the same thing, you know, just in the way that you have to do it, the platforms that you're creating and the people that you're bringing together, all of that stuff is huge. And that's what so many of us do in this business. So many comedians and so many artists and so many people in show business have that sort of nature or that sort of mentality. Um, and it's, it's easy to, again, 
especially with like social media, it's easy to start to believe uh, hype about yourself or believe that mm. you are this, I'm this great comedian who's saving the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. then you get to a point where, um, where that becomes really unhealthy and a really unhealthy place. Um, yeah. And I, and yeah, and you and you lose touch with what's really, really important. So trying to walk a balance of like not feeling like I have to down myself, but at the same time being like I am a I'm a person, and you know yeah. I'm I'm walking on a like a, a journey with other people that that make it that make it valuable. It's only valuable if it's valuable to us, not just me. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I feel like I keep saying the same thing. I'm going to say it again. That's beautiful. Uh, I feel like I've run out of ways to talk about um, what I'm feeling and getting out of what you've been talking about uh, while we've been uh, putting this podcast together. And uh, and I also uh, just want to express uh, thank you for uh, for doing this the way that you are and approaching it this way. Um, what I'd like to know, though, next is um, if somebody else wanted to get a hold of you, wanted to join up with what you're doing, um, or you know, wanted to see how could they make that work in their community uh, and and uh, grow that. Um, what what are some good ways for people to get a hold of you? Uh, best way to get in, just get in touch with me if you want to do that, is Mark James Heath. So Mark like the Bible, James like the Bible, Heath like Ledger, H-E-A-T-H, at gmail.com. Just reach out to me and say hello, because um, how we kind of work together or what we can kind of figure out is a bit of a nuanced conversation. So I would love to, to talk to people about that. I'm on Facebook a little bit. Uh, well, a, a lot more than I should be. <laughs> and, uh, I'm on Instagram. And those things are also things I'm struggling with to, to make that much more... Um, effective rather than me just kind of hanging out there. Um, but yeah, feel free to, to jump on. If you're on Facebook or if you're on Instagram, uh, feel free to reach out to me there as well. It's still Mark James Heath. And, you know, we can see what we can, what we can build together. It'd be great. Got it. Great. Uh, Mark James Heath. Thank you so much for being part of the clean County time podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and uh, learning about how you bring your particular message and voice into comedy and to your community and uh, then take that globally. That, that is tremendous, tremendous work you're doing. For sure, man. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Brian, your voice is awesome, man. Like, <laughs> you, are, you are killing it. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 